With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. So, we have made it through a pretty darn good week one of uh, college football. We've gotten to see, you know, Alabama confirm for anyone who doubted it. I'll I doubted, not doubted that Alabama was still Alabama, but I doubted that Alabama was going to be as impressive as usual. <laughs> I thought somehow this year would be different from all the other years. I just felt like it was time for them to have a quote-unquote down year, which for Alabama means two losses. And I was wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. I still need to lose a game somewhere this season, but they're going to go right back to being in the playoffs because what they do. I don't think they're going to win at all. Could be wrong. But Alabama continues to to Alabama, right? This is what they do. So my hat's off, but the bigger story and the really the more impactful and, and sadder story is the injury to DeAndre Francois, the talented young Richard sophomore, and I guess if you're looking for a silver lining or silver-ish lining, it's hopefully this will be the thing that gets him to come back for another year, which he may have done it either way, but I think he could use another year for a variety of reasons, physical, emotional, mental. He is a tough, mentally mature young man, but I really believe another year would behoove him. Now, we'll see what happens long-term with Jameis Winston. Because if he succeeds and becomes a great NFL quarterback, he will be the first. The first retro sophomore to be great long-term. Michael Vick certainly had flashes. Tommy Maddox had sort of a redemption tour when he made it back into the league with Pittsburgh. We all know the stories of people like Manziel and Marinovich and others, it, it's not usually a good thing when a redshirt sophomore quarterback, at least, enters the NFL, particularly if he goes as a fairly early-round draft pick. The story has tended to not be a good one. The endings have not tended to be happy, particularly at quarterback. So I'm not rooting against anyone ever. I want to see all of them make it and all of them succeed. But I do know having been around this game a while, that the quarterback position, more experience, has been proven conclusively over time to be better than having less experience. And I don't think there's anybody really who would who would argue against that. I mean, that's something that I truly believe everyone, everyone who pays attention recognizes as a fact. And my hope is that as increasingly people expect 
quarterbacks to play early and then quote-unquote redshirt when they get to the NFL. I hope more of them will, instead of sitting on an NFL bench for a year, will just play it on the year of college football. I, you know, once again, I don't want to start selling the old fogey, but it was, you know, it was good enough for Brady and Breeze and Unitas and Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, Russell Wilson had a fifth year. Most of the really great quarterbacks throughout the history of the game were four-year seniors. A couple of fifth-year seniors mixed in. Brady was a fifth-year senior. And there have been a handful of guys who were early declarees who have succeeded. Literally a handful. I mean, go throughout the history of the game. If you want to count Norm Van Brocklin, though it's sort of a funny kind of early declaree, he, technically speaking, had only played two years of college football, but his is sort of a skewed situation because he was a 25-year-old World War II veteran at the time he entered the league. He had been three years a naval officer during World War II. So I'm going to give him sort of a mulligan on the early declaratory thing, but even if you count him, for the most part, the stories, the endings, the things have not worked out super well for the young men who have decided to enter early. Now, that doesn't mean it can't work. doesn't mean it's impossible. That doesn't mean there's no one who will ever go on to be great. But they just have three or four years starting or three or four years in college to succeed. However, statistically speaking, and just commonsensically speaking, at a position where maturity is at least mental maturity and physical maturity to a certain extent, have been proven to help you succeed. Like it's not a theory, not guessing. It has been conclusively proven that there has been a much higher success rate for those guys who are, yeah, you don't want to be a 28, 29-year-old. I mean, obviously, you know, Roger Staubach says hi. But for the most part, you don't want to be in your late 20s you know, entering the league, even in your mid-20s, you know, obviously success rate drops off, but 22, maybe even 23, you know, seems to be about ideal, right? If you can be younger but still have, you know, been a three-year guy, I mean, I was fully in favor of Deshaun Watson coming out. Well, he graduating, he was graduating with his class, so there's nothing more for him to do. Same deal with luck, graduating with your class, not much more for you to accomplish physically and mentally very prepared. And if you're physically and mentally very prepared to go out and succeed, go out and succeed. So I'm not saying everyone needs to stay. I'm not saying it's impossible for someone to have success who doesn't um, complete all of their eligibility. That is far from what I'm saying. And I believe Jim Coburn's joined me. Is that you, Jim? Maybe not. All right. But the point I'm making is that if there is a position where it behooves you, and, you know, Trubisky's been an exciting test case. We'll see what happens with him. He's obviously not going to be the day one starter. I do believe that before the season's over, he will be the Bears' starting quarterback, and I believe he will be better than Glennon no matter what. Uh, when he gets his chance. However, 
he will be either someone who will set a new standard for having success at the quarterback position without having completed the previous, you know, the previously sort of accepted number of successful starts, or he'll be a victim, or whatever you want to call it, uh, someone who didn't manage to succeed. And whether it's because of a lack of experience or some other factor, that will be hotly debated, obviously. But it has clearly been proven, let's just say, that there's a much higher success rate for quarterbacks that have had more starts, more experience, seen more things. I mean, it's just a sort of common sense. The guy who's been through more things, seen more things, had more reps, seen more defenses, dealt with more pressure situations, that person is going to succeed at a higher rate. I mean, that's, like I said, common sense. Not much else to that. And I'll touch on a few more things. Uh, I'm catching just the end of, and I'll have to rewatch later, what Oklahoma State's doing. And obviously they're playing, you know, a Mac school on a Friday. And, you know, it's not a super difficult situation for them. But I've been one of the people who's been a, a Mason Rudolph I don't know if fan is the word. I've wondered why people haven't talked about him more. And I think, obviously, that will change this year. I think he will end up being one of the top few quarterbacks. He has the size you look for. He can move around a little bit. Above average arm. Football IQ, from what I can tell, seems to be above average as well. I assume that that will be something they'll really concentrate on when they get him into, you know, situations where he's going to be worked out and put on the whiteboard and, you know, the combine and all that stuff, they'll, they'll, he'll be probed pretty severely in terms of that because playing for Coach Gundy in a, you know, classic sort of shotgun spread, up-tempo, all those things that scare people. But as I just mentioned, or didn't mention recently, but I've mentioned many times in the past, that's what everyone is. It's not like they're doing this and everybody else is running, you know, West Coast offense from 1978. This is the this is the new now. This is the, this is where what happens now. This is how it's done these days. So unless you're going to just simply look at a very small handful of schools, the quarterback years you're dealing with is going to come from a quote unquote non pro style system. That's just how it is now. A few other things of note. Uh, Lamar Jackson, amongst the quarterback class, is another hotly debated prospect. There are people who still are of the mindset that he is not going to be able to quarterback at the next level because he's too black, too dependent on his legs, too slender, too whatever, too Robert Griffin III, you know, all the things that scare people. But... I am truly convinced that if he continues to develop, and once again, I'd love to see him come back for a senior year. Probably won't happen. But be that as it may, whether he does or whether he does not, it is extremely clear to me that he is a quarterback. And if he succeeds or fails, 
as a pro prospect. It is at that position or should be at that position. And if he does succeed, then it will hopefully help to put the rest, all of the various stigmas and concerns and fears that some people have about running quarterbacks. And if he fails, once again, there'll be a lot of I told you so's from those people that are down on black quarterbacks or mobile quarterbacks or mobile black quarterbacks or you know, quarterbacks that run or whatever it is, all the things that people complain about who complain about quarterbacks who are like Lamar Jackson in terms of style of play or race or build or all of the above. And often it is all of the above that concerns you people. But if he continues to play at a high level, continues to develop, and continues to improve as a passer in terms of touch, anticipation, and accuracy, which are, I mean, things where he can improve. It's also, I mean, a place where Josh Allen needs to improve. It's a place where Brett Rickon can improve. I mean, they all can improve. It's a place where Josh Rosen is ahead of those guys. It's a place where Sam Darnold is not always where he needs to be. He has you know, inconsistencies in his mechanics and navigation of the pocket. Once again, people have somehow forgotten how few starts he's had. This is not a, a fully developed prospect. And am I a fan of Sam Darnold? Yes. And do I think one day he'll be a very good pro prospect? Yes. But why does it have to be this year? This is back to me sort of wondering why there's this need to rush the process nowadays. <clears throat> Sam Darnold as essentially now coming up on having a full season of starts, right? He's almost had a full season of starts. And at the end of this year, there'll be a decision that he made. But the thought that it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to be ready to play in the NFL after having just under two years worth of starts is such a foreign mindset to me that that would be an assumption that one would make. Like there's no way he couldn't, be ready to go after having had just under two years worth of starts. There was a time when it would have been assumed, just assumed they would come back for his final year. Not that long ago. You know, 20, less than 20 years ago. But yes, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, even maybe even 15 years ago, the assumption would be that he would come back. It's been really in the last... 15 or so years or less that the assumption has been, well, why would you come back? But now, since there's no longer that huge cash in when you first sign, you're not going to get the Cam Stafford first contract. And you can get a loss of value insurance policy that will, at the very least, make sure that should something happen that prevents you from having a long, successful NFL career, you can at least have enough to get your life started as a young person without too much, hopefully, without too much, you know, difficulty. And I see I've been joined by Jim Coburn, and I hope you people will give me just a moment before we 
dive into looking back at the first week of college football and the first full week and talking about week two, I hope you'll give me a moment to check on my friend Jim. Jim, how's everything going? Uh, Pretty good. Okay. Well, as you know, you and yours and all those who might be in the path of uh, of Irma have been in my thoughts and prayers, so I hope that everything will work out for you, my friend. Pretty sure it will, but uh, but we'll see. We'll see if these scientists are right. (laughs) Yes. Yes, we will. It'll be a good chance to put science to the test once more. Well, with that having been said, as I often say, what do we know now that we didn't know a week ago? What things have we learned, Jim? Hmm. That's that's an interesting question. Well, uh, it's really tough to say. All the quarterbacks didn't play well. Right. Um, I mean, all of them. I mean, I mean, all of them. Um, not to say that Lamar Jackson's performance was bad, per se. It's just Purdue's defense played soft zone coverage the entire night. Yep. Um, and Keep it in front of us. Their whole philosophy is nobody gets behind us. Which, I mean, I, I'm not trying to, to take anything away from Lamar Jackson's performance. It's just it's like shooting fish in a barrel, you know. Um, not, I mean, just zip it in there for kind of short passes, um, was not the most, when it came to deep passes, was not the most accurate in terms of deep passes, um, except for ones where, you know, he's, he's, you know, running out of the pocket and doing stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, it was okay performance. I mean, he had the most zip on the ball, but do I think this is the quarterback that you take top 10 overall? Uh, well, not, not, I haven't seen you know. a quarterback this year that I would take top ten overall. Well, I it's going to happen. Okay. I might take Rosen somewhere in the 15 to 20 range if he continues to wow. you know, do some of the things I've seen him do. And I really would like to see him come back, and which he might do, unlike many of the other quarterbacks. He actually come back. Maybe. He is unconventional. Um, the, the Rosen <laughs> performance was another one that, that rubbed me the wrong way. Um, right. only, only because like, I don't, don't get me wrong. The comeback and great. Awesome. Yep. Cool. Uh, right. but that, if you just watched quarter one to quarter three, you would have came away going, wow, <laughs> this guy's bad. And I understand people are going yep. like, well, you know, the wide receivers are bad and the offensive line is bad. And, yeah, sure, the offensive line is bad, the wide receivers are bad. But that yep. doesn't take away from the fact that he he just wasn't throwing accurate football, um, even in terms of improvisational style. Yes, everything's, you know, most offenses are timing-based. But when it came down to improvisation, and it also comes down to just the general feeling that, you know, Josh Rosen has always been this quarterback all the way back to when he was, uh, you know, a freshman, uh, yep. where he played Virginia, tremendous game overall. I mean, it was just a highlight reel. The entire game was a highlight reel. Um, and then he plays BYU. They pressure him a bunch. They rattle him a bunch. And then his accuracy goes down. He's not really able to to make the plays he needs to make. Um, and then they lose that game. You know, well, I don't. I didn't think they lose that game, but he played poorly. Um, and this has been a consistent theme with, with Rosen. So, um, you know, that definitely 
makes you worry, <laughs> you know, in terms of uh, the the Rosen the Rosen people. Uh, and you know, and then you know, I saw Mason Rudolph at Sons tonight as well. Um, his his only issues I've seen is just when I mean, it comes to deep ball passes. Um, like he can throw it deep. It's just a lot of these passes are being made because the wide receivers are making really great adjustments to it. You know, um, just kind of chucking it deep and then letting the wide receivers kind of make the adjustment to it. Yep. Um, which is fine. Kind of like kind of like what Deshaun Watson used to do. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, which is cool. It's just that it's not exactly, you know, hitting, you know, a deep out, you know, in between two defenders. It's not it's, what Aaron Rodgers is doing. It's not what Russell yeah. Wilson's doing. It's not what Alex Smith was doing. Did last night, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Did the other night. Yeah, so it, it's just a little off in there, but is he a, is he a big, tall, white quarterback? Yes. So, um, you know, he's, <laughs> he's still going to have that, that appeal. And I do like him. I mean, I don't think he's bad. Um, one quarterback I felt like he played well was uh, Ryan Finley. Yes. Um, NC State. Yes, formerly of Boise. Yeah, he looked better than – well, here's what, here's the funny thing. I watched Josh Allen, and then I watched Ryan Finley after, and I was like, wow, Ryan Finley's better than Josh Allen. Um, mm-hmm. Just in terms of uh, short accuracy, uh, he had some pretty good intermediate throws there. My only issues in that particular game was his pocket presence was kind of a little bit all over the place um, at times, um, and his decision making too um, kind of was a little off in terms of um, kind of forcing the ball, controlled aggression, kind of basic term. Um, it was a little too aggressive in that game. Um, well, I mean the game was on the line. I don't know. I get a lot of criticism about that, but I'm like, yeah, the game's on the line, but still throwing it into. He could have hit the running back, and maybe he could have got, you know, to the sticks, and then you got another play, you know. But, um, but yeah, I felt like he played well. And, of course, Darnold, you know, threw two picks against uh, Western Michigan. I've not yet seen that game yet, but that's all I know is he threw two picks. Um, and, of course, people keep ragging on his um, – Mechanics. Mechanics, calling them Blake Bortles 2.0 and stuff like that, which, you know, okay. And, uh, oh, yeah, and then, of course, uh, oh, yeah, and then, of course, Josh Allen, who, I, you know, my only issue with Josh Allen, watching him again, he played better than he did last year against Iowa. I mean, he didn't play Iowa last year, but, like, he, he did play a little bit better than he was playing last year. Um, But it's still the same issue of just inconsistent, um, accuracy, even with short accuracy, um, inconsistent with that as well. And then, of course, the decision-making on top of that. Um, but at least that's a, it may, it's probably not over, but the Josh Allen top 10 overall pick guy, you know, I, I hope that kind of gets dialed back. I would um, like to hear the Josh Allen coming out this year talk die down. If he yeah. really would be much better served by staying one more year. Well, keep in mind, though, Bill, I mean, this, this Josh Allen is, he was rumored to be coming out in the last year's draft class, you know, which that was just a whole, you know, there's a lot of rumors and speculation that, well, it was because, you know, some guy watched him on film who was like a top sort of draft analyst guy and started making an article about him, praising him, and then 
read the article and he's like, wow, I think I'm pretty good. I think I could come out, you know, and then deciding not to. But um, I'm trying to think of any other quarterbacks I saw. I saw Danny Etling. Um, not a lot to take from the BYU game, but, he, you know, he wasn't terrible, um, which is, again, a good, you know, it's a good thing that he, he at least wasn't terrible. And, of course, Richard uh, Lego, another big, tall, white quarterback. There's a lot of big, tall, white quarterbacks in this hospital. Yeah. Did you check out Brandon Harris, formerly of LSU at UNC? Did not check out. Did not check out Brandon Harris. I did see JT Barrett, of course, and um, he's ba- he was basically JT Barrett. You know, basically for the most part. Saw Will Greer. I wasn't that enamored with Will Greer on second um, watch. And I saw Quentin Flowers. I felt like he played well. Um, I still think he has issues in terms of. I think he's trying to go. He's trying to get to the Heisman. That's what I think, because he keeps he kept trying to like throw really deep passes down the football field instead of trying to go for you know checkdowns, kind of the easier completion in that particular game, and it kind of hurt his completion percentage overall. But um, yeah, I did not see Brandon Harris though. But yeah, for the most part, I mean the quarterback. I mean it's the first week of the season. Um. So it's not that big of a deal, I guess. But, yeah, I mean, it wasn't the most, like, you know, oh, my gosh, these guys are amazing type of um, uh, thing. Right. But it's the first week. So, uh, a lot did more you catch Logan play. Woodside? Did not check out Logan Woodside, no. He's still better than the vast majority of quarterbacks who will have rated ahead of him. Um, not really news, I guess. Um, well, yeah. Plays in the Mac, though. So. <laughs> yes, there you go. Plays in the Mac. So that kind of downgrades them a bit in the eyes of of, uh, of the scouting community. But um, no, I, I haven't seen Logan Winslow yet. I but I mean I plan to. Um, I just you know just been trying to get a bit of everybody. But yeah. Did you check out Wilton State's and um, uh, um, Malik? Um, um, uh, you know, uh, formerly of Notre Dame. Um, Malik Zaire? Thank you. No, I, I didn't check out um, Malik Zaire. I did see, uh, I don't like to throw this out there, but um, I saw DeAndre Francois die on national television. Oh, oh yeah. As did we all, Jim, as did we all. I mean, I'm just saying, I... You know, a 290-pound uh, person hit him, and then and then and then a 300-plus-pound guy was about to hit him. Yeah, I was I was, I was very uh, concerned for the health and status of, of Mr. Dandre Prinsel, and of course, you know, well, he's, he's done for the year, unfortunately. But um, yeah, so that that was another guy that I saw. Um, the only reason I was watching him was, was just because he's a retro sophomore, but, you know, Bill, I mean, retro sophomore at Florida State, and y- you never know, you know. Well, they have one you know, retro sophomore but... who came out and is having a pretty good start to his pro career, but yeah, that I hope people will take from that that retro sophomore quarterbacks 
I mean, if he has long, great lungs for success, he will be the one, if you don't count, Norm Van Brothen was a 25-year-old maybe war veteran, but if you don't count him, and if Jameis, you know, becomes a great NFL quarterback, he will have beaten the odds. He'll be the second one, even if you do count Norm Van Brothen, who's become a great redshirt sophomore NFL quarterback. The rest of them are, you know, once again, it's a boulevard of broken dreams. It's the Marinoviches and Maddoxes and I mean, yeah. Vic sort of. Well, I mean, he had moments of success, but Manziel. Vic, yeah, Vic's issue is just as a passer. You know, right. I actually was going to do a video on Vic. Um, as a runner, he's perfect. I mean, you know, he's oh. amazing as a runner. He was, he was essentially, it was like if a quarterback, if you had Barry Sanders playing quarterback for you, this is what it would look like. Exactly. You know, with a strong arm so he could make, you know, he could get you off guard a couple places. He just was never really 100% consistent. And then, of course, he had the Andy Reid year. And then that was pretty much it after that point. So, um, yep. yeah, but that was Michael Vick's career. But, yeah, that 2010 year was just to show people he could do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Richard's on quarterback. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it is what it is. I think the NFL. Well, it's mostly been the Boulevard of Broken Dreams. I mean, like I said, there's been a. Yeah. And, of course, Jameis will, will at least put one more on the, you know, the ledger of success. But usually it's not only, you know, not successful, but sad for the most part. I mean, it's been mostly some very bad, bad outcomes. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I don't know. People just get to – I mean, experience is, is a big thing, you know. So, I don't know. I don't think people take experience – into account sometimes at every position too. Um, right. You know, cause you got guys like, cause I recently did a thing on two at Craven, you know, and um, I mean, his issue I think is, is some of the issue is just that, you know, he's a guy who was a safety and then they moved to the linebacker and then his body didn't even catch up body composition wise to being a linebacker. And then right. now he's in the NFL. So you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't really know what you are, and now you're in the NFL. And now you have to figure out what you are now in the NFL. Right. While you're people playing that have figured the out best football players. Exactly. Yeah. People who in figured the, out who the they are for years. You know, these right. people figured themselves out years ago, and now you're trying to figure out who you are while also going against guys who already figured their stuff out. So, right. and that's definitely like with quarterbacks as well. You know, we're talking about redshirt sophomore quarterbacks. They barely just started to figure out what they're good at, and now they're in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I hope that is I, – I don't think – I mean, the injury hopefully keeps him there another year because I don't think he'll do something crazy and just, like, declare as a redshirt but as a quarterback. Right, especially if he's not even fully healthy. I mean, he's got an unfortunate injury where he wouldn't even be fully healthy to do stuff for the draft. I mean, uh, it just wouldn't make sense. Yeah. It doesn't mean it won't happen, but it would make literally zero sense for him to play. It wouldn't make much sense at all, especially with the the film. Because um, he's another quarterback where people make a lot of, of – I'm not saying excuses. Like, the offensive line is bad, but at the same time, it, it doesn't it justify – bad decisions. It doesn't justify, you know, being a young, you know, young and inexperienced quarterback having to deal with that situation, you know. So he didn't but, really develop 
but what people somehow forget is that if you are a young quarterback and you're drafted fairly early, there's a pretty darn good chance you're going to go to a team with a bad offensive line. And now yep. what? <laughs> you know, because <you> know, <laughs> so, who's going to care about your excuses now? Yeah, unless you're like the Tennessee Titans, you know, and you draft offensive linemen high, build everything up, and, and then you get your quarterback. Right. But, um, right. Yeah. Few teams, Cause I was, very few teams do that, but yes. Yeah, because I was getting into another conversation. <laughs> it was about the same, you know, the Bucks and the Titans. Um, you know, Jameis, they took the approach of, you know, getting a lot of skill position talent and then getting the quarterback. While the Titans seem to be, and maybe it's just getting a little bit luckier as well, but the Titans seem to be building up the offensive line getting Mariota once they had, at least in their eyes, a stable enough line and then just building on it and continuing to build on it, you know, from there. Right. Um, and then boom, success. You know, look at what the Cowboys did as well in terms of revamping their line, what Kansas City's even done. And because Kansas City's yep. line pretty dang um, yes. good as yes. well. They pushed around the Patriots' defensive line pretty much all night. Yeah. So that's another situation where you know you get a guy like Mahomes. You know he doesn't have a bad offensive. I mean, a bit whenever he gets the job, which is probably next year. But um, yeah, so yeah, so I mean, it's, I don't know. If you're a young quarterback, it's that's why all these teams that are like, well, they're tanking. You know, like they, they <laughs> you don't tank in the NFL, like. <laughs> To me, you don't. I mean, because if you tank, like right. just like we were talking about, if you tank, you're now you have a quarterback coming in, a rookie quarterback coming in this bad situation, you know, with no talent. So, and some of them get out of that. Some of them work their way through it. Troy Aikman, right? I mean, Troy Aikman on the Dallas Cowboys, that was a terrible team. Um, oh, that first year was hard to watch. I mean, I hated Dallas, and even I felt somewhat sorry <laughs> for Troy Aikman that first year. <laughs> Oh my God in heaven! The beating he took. <laughs> uh, yes, it was. I mean, up there was one of the five or six worst. Just, I mean, there's there's some guys who weren't as good as Troy, who I saw take similar types of beatings, but because, you know, who remembers Cody Carlson or Tom Mickey? But I remember watching when uh, t- you know Pastorini would get hurt or whatever in the late '70s with the uh, Oilers. And they'd be playing, say, Pittsburgh or somebody with a really great pass rush. And Pastorini would get hurt. They put in one of their backups who weren't as good as Dan Pastorini, obviously. And they'd get back there and realize, oh, holy crap, these are the Steelers. And you could see the guy thinking that, like, oh, crap, these are the Steelers. Like, literally, you could see it on his mind. And then he realizes, this, these are the Steelers. I've seen these guys on TV. Like, almost you could see him thinking this. He's back there and his knees are wobbly and his liver is quivering and he's questioning all these decisions that have led to this point in life and, you know, maybe insurance sales doesn't sound so bad. And I think I think my wife's dad has a place in his car dealership. I mean, he's thinking, rethinking all the decisions that have led him to this moment. And then all of a sudden, you know, Dwight White or somebody comes crashing through the line and, you know, he kind of tries to sidestep him and then blah, oh, and oh, just vicious beatings. You know, things that you can't do to quarterbacks nowadays, I saw happen. So, you know, straight-up Serengeti action, you know, antelopes getting 
ripped in half by prides of lions kind of stuff. Yet you just can't do the quarterbacks these days. But but yes, it, it it's clear to me that when you have a young quarterback, if your offensive line is not just below average but bad or terrible, and you want this person to develop, I assume you want this person to develop, you're making that development, if not impossible, then severely difficult. When they don't have the ability to consistently set their feet and go for their reads. It's one thing when you force Aaron Rodgers, you know, to do Aaron Rodgers things, flitting around, you know, off his back foot and rolling this way and rolling that way and ducking and dodging, because Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. But assuming you didn't just happen to get a second Aaron Rodgers, and just so everyone knows, there's not another one of those coming, not in this draft, not in the draft after that, nor the draft after that, nor the draft after that. Aaron Rodgers has come along about every 25 years or so. So you're not getting another one of those. So you might get another Alex Smith. Yeah. Maybe. But people don't, like, but people don't get that, Bill. People think there's Hall of Famers in every class, which, I mean, there's usually a couple, you know, but not every single position. Not every single, you know, especially every the quarterback position. I mean, and to think that like a quarterback class, like to have three of those of those guys do well is a, is a feat in itself. Um, Once again, when that class that gave us, you know, uh, when was it? Uh, I mean, obviously Andrew Luck has had some injury issues, and Robert Griffin III is, you know, currently without a job even. But that yeah. year. When those two in, was it Russell Wilson was the third? Yeah, Russell Wilson, uh, Nick Foles. That's right, Foles. I keep forgetting about Foles. So there were four rookie quarterbacks who, whose teams won more games than they lost that year, which would happen for the first time in, I don't know, was it 50 years? It was some really long time. Since that long had been time. Done. It had been a really long time since that had been done. It's not, it doesn't happen often. And there's a reason it doesn't happen often. It takes certain situations. It takes a pretty special talent. It takes a bunch of things falling into place that don't often happen. And I think some people who are especially younger people who maybe think that's normal or something start to think, well, okay, that'll happen again this year. But it won't. And it won't happen next year, and it won't happen the year after that, and it won't happen the year after that. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't. A lot of good things that happen. You know, it takes a quarterback from Mississippi State. You know, people thinking, oh, he's not good. You know, he's just this spready, you know, offense quarterback. Run first, you know. Right. It takes him to fall to the Dallas Cowboys, who already have everything to go, except for the defense. That's the only thing they don't catch. <laughs> Everything else. Everything else. Yeah. Or the Russell Wilson, you know, a guy going dropping to the third round with on a team that already, you know, was was pretty much had a lot of stuff sorted out before he got there. Um, And at least in part because of his incredibly cap friendly contract for the first couple of years, it helped them to continue holding that defense together. Now they've never invested in that offensive line for whatever reason. 
it is basically a collection of yeah, right. It's a collection of dudes for the most part. I don't I don't know what they're doing, Phil. I <laughs> I mean I as you know I I I can proudly say I'm an analytics guy because you know if you call mm-hmm. me that all right fine, but mm-hmm. I don't know what they're looking at. I don't know what they're. <laughs> it's basically like this, Phil. They have some guys who are some of the most athletic players at the position with some mm-hmm. of the least athletic players at the position mm-hmm. starting for them. Yes. So I don't know what they're doing anymore. You know, the whole adage of, well, Seattle, they're just drafting a bunch of athletes and making them, you know, and, and teaching, coaching them up, right? That was the whole thing. But they're not drafting a bunch of athletes. It's almost like, and and then you hear them go, well, you know, our our analytics department is making these decisions, and and then I'm think again, I'm thinking to myself, what what? Uh, I mean, am I wrong? You know, is is my <laughs> twenty years worth of data and information, and is is am I doing something wrong that they're not? You know, and I, yeah, I mean, they're starting Reese. You know the Boise State guard. Oda Oda Hum Oda Oba Oda Hum was it Oda Hum Oda Humba Oda? Is that what you're talking about? Reeves Oda Yeah Oba, Yeah Oda, Oda Humba Oda, Oda Humba Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yes right. Oda <sighs> I'm gonna roll out so I don't have to worry about you. You know <laughs> I'm gonna roll out to the right. Yeah, you know that guy. Um, you know it's just weird. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. Seattle. I mean, they're trying to do stuff. I just don't know what they're doing. Again, it's like I don't know what they're doing. You know, I don't know if they're, if they're just trying to confuse the NFL or something. I don't know. <laughs> but um, <laughs> they, uh, you know, which happens with most teams. Which I always find kind of really funny to me is, you know, people people have to separate, you know, what an organization does in terms of how it's run as an organization versus what they do as drafters. It's like with New England, you know. New England is is a great organization. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to drafting, last couple seasons, eh, you know, like not the best in terms of, you know, what they're trying to do, talent acquisition. I mean, you bring in a guy like – the biggest point of this is, is you bring in a guy like Cassius Marsh, who, based on film at UCLA, was more like a pass rusher. He was like, kind of like a poor man's Clay Matthews type of guy. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and you decide to play him at inside linebacker and have him try to cover, you know, running backs and, and stuff. I, I I don't know. It's just weird. <laughs> so I don't know what's happening, but um, – yeah. So you got again. You, you have organizations who just won a Super Bowl, and uh, they're doing decisions like that. So again, you know, nobody's perfect. You know. So I, I just kind of find it funny. Like Seattle, like all these other teams, or the Broncos quarterback situation. You know, where the is, best uh, quarterback looking, they had a camp with someone they decided not to keep. <laughs> That's what you're talking about. I still don't get it, Bill. I mean, kid, <laughs> great preseason. I know it, it's preseason, but when you're scoring 99 plus percentile in preseason, you know, like pretty much better than Cooper Rush. You know, Cooper Rush is really good preseason, and they kept him. The Dallas didn't cut him, um, mm-hmm. and you cut Kyle Slaughter, and then 
you cut him to make room to bring in Brock Osweiler. <laughs> Ironically enough, Malvig, who is it's coming an elaborate, one of the worst seasons. Joke. Yeah, I don't, I don't get, I just, okay, help me understand. I know he's tall and he is white, but wh- yeah. what else is there? Six, seven, um, too tall, honestly. Because again, like I told you before with the data, six, seven quarterbacks don't do that well. No. For whatever mm. reason. Now, it might just be Mike because very turns, few turns it around. Yeah. <laughs> still have no successful six, seven quarterbacks. <laughs> Yeah, six seven quarterbacks just don't do too well, uh, uh, you know. In in the data, it's like too tall to play, uh, you know, quarterback. It could just be because there's there's not a lot of them, you know. It's like with the five foot ten sort of thing, you know, when people throw out, well, he's five foot ten, so he's an outlier quarterback. And I go, I don't think so. I think he's just well, a good five quarterback. Five foot ten's doing better than six foot seven. There's five foot ten quarterbacks in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Thank you, friends. Are you good? Yeah, yeah. And, of course, you know, with Steve Young and, you know, him being 6'2 or whatever. Well, like um, I said, we, we all know Steve Young's not 6'2". Um, he's 6'2", the same way that Drew Brees is, whatever they say Drew Brees is. But it is so, like I said, the 6'7 quarterback's outcomes have so far been worse than the super short quarterbacks. I can name more good super short quarterbacks than you name 6'7". 6'7". Exactly. I, but I really don't know. And again, that's 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 kind of my. I mean, you have a you have a, again a Denver Broncos organization who won a Super Bowl. They've made good decisions. They got they brought in really great free agents. You know, I mean, because that's the thing. You know, they brought in guys like Wes Welker when he still was able to play. They got to keep to leave. I felt like that was a pretty good move, even though you know, yeah. I mean, he's a really, really a good quarterback. Move. They brought in Peyton Manning, which is like a once in a lifetime opportunity. To get a quarterback like that to hit the, you know, like that's you, you never have situations like that happen, you know. Um, and and you go to the Super Bowl and you win the, you know, well you lost the first one and then you won the next one, but um, you know, sure you did all that stuff, but now you're you have these quarterbacks, like I you said, you, you you have Trevor Simeon who, based on data last year, terrible, based on all the stuff that I do. Wasn't good in high school, nor was he good in college, and he's not good in the NFL. So I, I don't know what's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, what's going to happen? You know, he wasn't good at high school. He wasn't good at college. He wasn't good at the NFL. So he's, you know, and then he bring in a guy in Brock Osweiler, who's also coming off one of the worst seasons ever on the Houston Texans. Um, a and team it's like, that's just a quarterback away. You know, great defense. I mean, they had Tremendous. Even when losing J.J. Watt, their defense is still decent. Mm-hmm. Um, carried the team, really. And then, uh, you know, and he does, it's not like he didn't have a weapon either, DeAndre Hopkins. But, um, yeah, so terrible season. And, uh, you know, and, of course, you have your other – and that's the thing, too. They have all these things they have to keep, like Chad Kelly and, you know, and Pat, like they have these, like, anchors. Like, we can't cut Chad Kelly, right? We have to <laughs> keep him around. You know? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, in their mind, they're like, what are we going to, you know, like, we, he's Mr. Rowe. We can't cut him right away. We have to, you know, and, and Jim Kelly, I mean, I promised Jim Kelly, you know, that I'd keep him, keep him on for a little bit. 
Right, because Jim's from my 1983 draft class. We all hang together with 83 quarterbacks. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, the Broncos are, yeah, it's a little situation. But, again, underscores the question, because you can't just keep drafting quarterbacks. Eventually, you get fired. So, I mean, that's, you know, what happens. But, um, yeah. Hmm. <sighs> well, don't worry, Kyle Slaughter fans. The Vikings jumped all over him like a duck on a jew bug, and he—he he might be the highest-paid player on any practice squad in the in the in the league. Should be. Yeah, I mean, when he can make the throws that he can make, you know, I know it's yep. preseason. Believe me, I get it. But. You know, you have to be able to watch the film and be like, okay, that was a dime. Okay, that's a dime. Yeah, that's a dime. You know, he's not like throwing the ball into, like, it's a really open window, but it's not like he's just throwing the ball in this open window, which is lazily, like, he's putting it right where it needs to be and these, these, you know, deep pass, deep outs and all the other kind of stuff. So, and sure, I mean, he's, you know, he's a low-level division quarterback, so sure, there's probably a bit of, growth and maturity that you need to do there, but, you know, and I understand people are like, well, he's, you know, Tony Romo is an outlier and all this other kind of stuff, but I'm just like, I don't know what else to tell you, man. You know, you're trying to find quarterbacks. This guy played really well and you cut him, you know, because I don't know, because you have so many quarterbacks, like you think you're set at quarterback. It's like, it's like a running back <laughs> activity thing. It's like Seattle. <laughs> Seattle's like, uh, yeah, you know, we think we're very talented at running back. That's why we have running backs by committee because we have all this depth <laughs> at the position. And it's like, if you have a running back by committee, you, you don't have you you have depth, but you don't have quality depth. You just have depth. You have guys who can do a couple, you know, like one guy who can catch the football and another guy that can block and another guy that can. Well, this guy runs between the tackles. This guy runs off the ta- off tackle. This guy's good at blitz pickup. And this guy's good yeah. at this other thing. And right. This guy's but a when third down back. This guy's a second down back. This guy's a first down back. Right. But when you have a Le'Veon Bell who can do everything, and you don't have to take him off the field on passing down, and you don't have to take him off the field in any you know any other down, you know. You, you have a better chance of confusing the defense, making them, you know, because eventually, you know, again, you have running backs by committee. I just think it's based on all the stuff I've done. It's just a lot easier to tendency scout when you have running back by committee because you know exactly what, I mean, you just know, like, you know what they're going to do because, you know, you have so many, like, you can't just bring out three running backs and have them all do a different thing every time. Like, some of them do that, but, like, it's just weird. Yeah, but yeah, Seattle, you know, it's like, Bron- again, the Broncos have like a quarterback by committee. I mean, that's what it looks like they have at this point. And I just don't think that's a good thing to have a quarterback by committee. But uh, that kind of looks like where they're heading. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a super confusing way to go about doing whatever the heck it is they're doing. And we'll see, you know, once again, one, if they manage to have success, there's a mixed 
bag of, I mean, people can point to the Giants and their Super Bowl run when they had their quote-unquote earth, wind, and fire back deal with Derek Ward and um, uh, Brandon Jacobs and uh, uh, the little undrafted back from Marshall, um, who was probably their most complete of three backs. Oh, my gosh. Uh, eventually a foot injury in his career. You know what I'm talking about. Um Oh, which which uh, which? Back? Remember the old Earth, Wind, and Fire backfield the Giants had during their Super Bowl oh, years? Oh yeah, you mean Ahmad Bradshaw? Bradshaw, Brandon thank Jacobs. you, Ahmad Bradshaw, yeah, Brandon yeah. Jacobs, and Derek Ward. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. That was yeah, Derek Ward, yeah. Right. Yeah. So they, you know, they had a certain amount of success with that. A few teams have had success, but most teams have struggled, as you probably, you know, didn't work on the ball for the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, when they tried to have a three-headed backfield. And of all people, Darren Sproles, the quote-unquote gadget guy, was the one that ended up being the most productive of their three-headed monster well, yeah. you know, running back thing. Because he, he can catch the football, you know, and he can uh, affect the passing game. I mean, that's all this, you know, because after I did all the offensive split data stuff, it really opened my eyes to – having running backs that can catch the football and can make plays um, in terms of through the passing game. Um, like a Darren Sproles, like, you know, a bunch of these different sort of guys. Um, just because of, you know, how, you know, how much it helps your overall passing game. So I just think that, you know, those guys definitely will have value, but it's the guys that are kind of just run heavy, you know, like the Jeremy Hills and, you know, guys like that. Those are guys that are just kind of, you know, go the way of the dodo, kind of, you know, um, if they can't improve in terms of the passing game and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, running backs like me, I mean, we get, as you know, but I don't like running backs getting just from the philosophical stance of it, because I just think, you know, I believe in workhorse backs. I think workhorse backs, you know, if you have a back that can do everything, that really helps just the flow of the offense, it helps, it helps just everything, you know, um, being able to trick teams, being able to set opponents up. And when you have this running back by committee thing, you don't really have that advantage anymore. You're basically, you know, pulling a, you know, a Sean Payton, basically, you know, trying to, cause you know, Sean Payton is everything by committee, wide receiver by committee, running back by committee, <laughs> tight end by committee, you know, <laughs> Everything um, but quarterbacks. The only position where it's like two people. Yeah, and that can work. I mean, if you're Sean Payton and all you do is you sit in your little film room and try to find every matchup possible every single game to find the best matchup and have quarterback in your brief who is cognizant of that game planning, that can work. But it's not a strategy that every team can do. It, it's you know, it's it's not something you know that every team can do. So um, it, again, it's just easier. Instead of having to do all that work and you know to to try to outmatch every find every matchup and do that, you just line up your dude. You know, it's like when they had Jimmy Graham. You know, you don't have to do a lot of work with Jimmy Graham. You just line him up wherever, and he's going to be a mismatch. You know, like nobody's going to match up with that that well. You know, it's like with the Patriots and Rob Gronkowski. It's like any other sort of guy that's kind of like that. You know, just easier to do stuff when. Uh, uh, you know, you have a guy like that. 
And same thing goes with running backs that can do everything. You know, it's just easier to game plan, easier to get ready, you know, and harder for a defense to really deal with that as well. So. Yep. So getting to, I guess, a few more things from week one that we'll start looking forward to week two. So obviously we, we spent some time on quarterbacks. Let's talk about some of the other players in other positions. Who else did you notice? Who else made an impression? Who else did you like and, or or maybe dislike? Um, you know, maybe people who made an impression that wasn't a good one, but who are some of the players? Uh, skill or linemen, offense, defense? Right. Um, well, I can say this definitive. I found my first grandma scout player. Sweet. Um, of the year. And it's Saquon Barkley. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Like, you are correct, sir. <laughs> like, it's, it's everything he does just looks amazing, whether yep. he's running a route, whether he's, you know, even his pass production still a little iffy, but a little better than last year. You know, it, he's, he's just. Um, I kind of feel like you're nitpicking, but I agree it's a yeah. place of growth for him. Yeah. You know, he's better than he was last year. And um and he's just he is just freaky, you know. He's just that type of guy, I guess, that move just moves different than everybody else, you know. So um yeah, so he's definitely that guy. Um Michael Gallup at Colorado State, of course, you know I mentioned him before. Um We talked about him extensively coming into the season. We thought he was a top five wide receiver. And he still looks like that, you know, uh, great route runner. Um, he has more speed than you think he does. Uh, pretty good in terms of releases, pretty good in terms of um, everything. The only nitpicky thing is just, you know, he's not like a – it's just the type of wide receiver he is. You know, he's not a guy that's going to be breaking us on the tackles and doing stuff like that, you know, dragging people. But he is someone who's going to get open. He's, you know, consistent separation and – um uh, you know, really good ball, you know, ball control and separation. So, yeah, I just really liked him against all the teams, including Colorado, because, um, you know, they had Isaiah Oliver uh, in that game, and uh, he was a guy that people were hyping up a lot. And, honestly, it was one of those – it was kind of like uh, when Odo Beckham Jr., you know, faced Xavier Rose. Like, Xavier Rose didn't really do much to Odo Beckham Jr. It was really the pass rush preventing, you know, Eli from having enough time to really – focus in on him and um uh, and that was kind of like michael gap's colorado game but um but yeah i mean he's he's really stuck out to me uh at colorado philip Lindsay, at running back yes yeah uh, looks pretty impressive as well he reminds me of he's not as um he's not as fast or as athletic as justin fargus but he just has kind of that sort of look um to him you know, in terms of being, you know, uh, powerful, um, can kind of do a little bit of, you know, can catch the football, can do a little bit of everything, um, type of back. And he and he was just pretty impressive against uh, Colorado State. But, um, he's, a, you know, another running back. I was kind of like that. Um, Quentin Nelson, of course, in Notre Dame is still – I mean, he was the guy I had a, as a first-round guard last year. And yes. I still – him as the first round guard this year. Still matching um, people, yes. Yeah, still matching people, still, you know, aggressive. 
Um, Mike McGlinchey. I just want to call him McGlinchey because that's just what he looks like on film. I mean, he's he's not bad. I mean, out of the OTs I've seen thus far, he's my top OT right now. Um, I haven't seen as, as many OTs up to this point. But I still have issues in terms of his ability to deal with explosiveness and speed. Right. And, um, he, again, he's a guy that if he gets his hands on you, yeah, he can shut you down. But I just – there's too many flashes where I was just like, man, you know, this guy – I, I know it's sad to say, but again, if I'm going to take an OT in the top 10, I kind of want to hope they have a chance to be like a Walter Jones or, you know, like somebody who's like elite, you know what I'm saying? And not settle for, you know, Luke Jokel, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just, yeah, yes, I know what you say. Yeah. So I get kind of that vibe from him, but, but I, I, he's not, again, he's not bad. I just don't quite see the top. Can overall like this is what an OT looks like type of thing, you know. Um, and uh, Raymond Richards at Oklahoma State is uh, at safety looked pretty decent as well. He kind of played the Jabril Peppers kind of thing, you know, kind of played in the slot a little bit, kind of came down against the run, uh, but I felt like he was pretty explosive, pretty aggressive, um, and uh, and smart too. Um, he kind of impressed me a lot with his instincts. And uh, um, you know, in terms of reaction, so uh, he's pretty good. Denzel Ward at Ohio State, I don't really have a comp for him 100%. Um, he's super athletic. They got him doing that shuffle bell stuff, though. And as you know, I, I really yeah. don't like the shuffle bell. But the thing is, is he doesn't need to do the shuffle bell because nope. he has hips and he's fast. And he's he's explosive. So he doesn't need to do the the. I mean, if you're if your corner ain't got no hips, do the shovel bell. If your corner that has hips, teach him to do it the right way. You know. Um, so that's my only issue with Ward. It has nothing to do with him as a player as much as that dang shuffle bell. <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, but yeah, he's pretty impressive in terms of uh, you know instincts. More of a he's more of a ball hawk type guy. But he's a very productive ball hawk type guy. So I'm, I am making up for not being the most consistent tackler, but I still felt like he flashed pretty well in terms of that particular game. Uh, Stanford's offensive line, I mean, David Bright is the tackle. He's, he's a tackle right now. He's a guard at the NFL level. Uh, he didn't look too bad. I think the Porter Gustin matchup this week against USC, I think is going to be a pretty good matchup for him um, to kind of show off his stuff. But I mean, he's a guard. I mean, he just has that body type, you know, he's not exactly, he doesn't have like a very wide wingspan or something like that. Kind of a short thinner kind of um, uh, frame, but I do like him. His hands are pretty decent, plays pretty uh, okay technique. Of course they have Jesse Burkett there as well. And an FCS guy that I saw that I that I liked was Darius Jackson at Jacksonville State. Um, he kind of reminded me of like a mini Charles Haley, kind of. Um, he's still raw in a lot of ways, but um, but I did kind of like uh, what he brought to the table in terms of him. Uh, but those those were kind of the main guys that stuck out the most. Um, from this from this week to me, I saw about ninety players or so, and those were the ones that that 
to me kind of stick out the most. Yes, well, I can co-sign on those players. And obviously, Barkley might be, of all the players in this class, the prospect who has the greatest number of elite-type qualities. I can't think of another player playing any of the other positions that I've seen so far that possesses many elite-type qualities. So I think it's a chance to be really special. And I was trying to think of to whom I would even compare him. I mean, he's yeah, I, I don't have a guy. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, he's kind of like. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that I came up with, he's not exactly Edson James, but like similar kind of running style. And then the whole, I think the cutback. It was maybe the cutback that he had. Uh, that kind of reminded me of Marcus Allen too, you know, because you know, old later guy, you know. But um, right. But yeah, I mean, Elliot, Elliot slash James, you know, I think he's more athletic than than Elliot, obviously. Um, right. not quite as freaky as Edron James, but that's kind of the body type and kind of the style, you know. But more shifty and more. You know, I don't know. There's really, there's really not a lot of running backs that come to mind because it's just all the stuff that he does. You know, like he's fast. He's not just a shifty guy. You know, like his speed really catches you off guard because you think, oh, this is just like a Lashawn McCoy guy, right? You know, he's just a four or five guy. No, he's got some more juice to him. So, yeah. Yep. And, I mean, I was thinking of people, you know, there's some Curtis Martin qualities, but with, like, a beefed-up chassis, a supercharger, you know, nitrous tank. I mean, you know, Curtis Martin would love to have had what that kid has because he doesn't have all that. I'm finding some other people that with whom we share some qualities. Um, who else? Um, I mean, he's super powerful and strong, and oh uh, gosh, uh, I mean, there's so many things that he can do. <laughs> as a running back. I mean, the running back he most reminds me of is going to sound funny because it's somebody who's nowhere, I mean, who had sort of a one-day career almost. Do you remember the, the running back named Timmy Smith who went for 200-something-odd yards in the Super Bowl for Washington? And then I don't think he, I don't think he made it for the next season. He... uh unfortunately got mixed up with drugs and, you know, started thinking he wanted a bigger contract and he ended up getting cut uh, by the, before the end of the next season and nobody even picked him up. 
But Timmy Smith had a like two hundred. I think he used to hold a Super Bowl record. In fact, he had two hundred twelve rushing yards. Just only got in the Super Bowl uh, due to injury. Right, he wasn't even supposed to be right. starting. You know, one of those sort of freak situations, and goes out and you know has a great Super Bowl and starts thinking whatever. Such so much stuff happened, both the three and the drugs and people getting in his ear, but. He for that one day, now admittedly also Ram had a great offensive line. I mean the Hawks and all that stuff, but but he showed you explosiveness and power and balance and tackle breaking and all that stuff for one you know one game, one Super Bowl game of all things. But it's hard to think of people like him. I mean he's got a super powerful build. He's ridiculously flexible for a back who's built like he is. Acceleration ludicrous power. I mean, he's got John Riggins, you know, I mean, he's got true power back power, like the 240-something, 250-pound running back power. Yeah. You know, I mean, you you don't see guys with that kind of power who move like he does. I'm trying to, that's why it's been a struggle, you know, because I'm trying to think of, I mean, Andrew James makes a certain amount of sense, but Andrew James didn't have quite that level of power because well, because he, you know, who does? <laughs> because who does? I mean, it's a short right. list of dudes I can think of who have that kind of power. Most of them were true power backs. The guys I can think right. of that kind of power were two hundred, like I said, two hundred forty, two hundred fifty pound guys who just were sledgehammers. But he's right. not. But I mean, I mean, yes, it's a very yeah. rare type of thing. Um, yeah, to say the least, because. You know, again, most of the time when I do running back data, you know, anytime I do running back analytics or running back athleticism, any any sort, you know, guys have different types of athleticism. You know, you might have a guy that's fast, that's it. You might have a guy that's explosive, you know, in terms of lower body strength. You might have a guy that's really flexible, um, you know, in terms of uh, leverage situations. Or you might have a guy who's fast and flexible. In Barkley's case, he's all three, you know. There, there's not one weak point. He's incredibly flexible for a man his size. He's incredibly fast for a man his size, and he's incredibly powerful for a man his size. Yes. yes. So there's no weaknesses. I mean, the closest I can really come to is like a supersized Ray Rice. You know, he's like yeah. if Ray Rice were almost six feet tall Bigger. and two hundred thirty-two pounds. You know, if you could imagine Ray Rice being you know, two inches and a quarter or whatever taller and 30 or almost 30 pounds heavier. That's like about as close as I can get. Because that was an explosive, powerful for his size back, but he was a much smaller package. Yeah, Barkley is special. And and I'm not saying that the guys... Barkley discussion is completely over because I guess you know things could happen, but right. I always I have Barkley ahead of guys all the time anyway. Yeah, guys would have to do something truly special the rest of the season well, to change my mind on this. I mean, guys is a you know he's a power speed back. Yep, you know? um, and he does that really well. Yep, but he doesn't quite have that shiftiness in terms of the flexibility and the balance um, as much as, uh, or even speed for that matter, you know, right. um, as, as Barkley. So, 
Um, that's kind of where I really like guys. I do like guys. <clears throat> I do think there's a ton of running backs in this class, though. So. <laughs> um, yes. And, uh, Nick yeah, Chubb, Tony right. Michelle. Um, <clears throat> right. You know, or even John Kelly, you know, because I just. Yep. You got done watching Kelly, John Kelly. Justice Hill, uh, yeah. Edo Smith, uh, yeah. uh, Ronald Johnson, <clears throat> Keith Gaskin. Um, yeah. Hey, Bryce Love <clears throat> might have a chance. Yeah, Bryce to... Love too kind of showed his stuff. Yeah, yeah. But you know, but again, none of them move the way that Barkley does. No. And again, it's do. definitely my opinion. You know, this isn't me going. You know, putting a bunch of numbers into a computer and spitting out. It kind of is. My brain is, but it's just based on movement ability. You know, Barkley guys. You know, I mean, Geist does some he, – he's done some freaky things. He's had those games where, you know, he, he broke, like, three different tackles all at once, you know, stuff like that, um, which, again, is cool. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Great. But um, instead of having to break the tackles, why don't you just run away from the tackles, you know, um, at times. But, um, but, yeah, but that's my only thing about um, – why Barkley is my number one guy is just because it's just because of the total package. You know, there really isn't one um, weakness except for nitpicking, you know, with pass pro stuff. But that's really about it. And he's gotten a little bit better in terms of that this year, at least based on the right game. And we, we sort of assume that it'll continue to get better, though, of course. There are some guys, I mean, Adrian Peters has never really – fully grasped no. let's pick up for whatever reason. So <clears throat> some guys never quite get there. Okay, any other players in any other positions? Maybe not quite Saquon Barkley, because I don't think there is another player at another position who's quite Saquon Barkley. But who else, maybe that you haven't mentioned yet, really planted themselves deeply into your level of, you know, into your esteem? Um, well, you know, Tavares McFadden, he's got, he was better. He he was more aggressive against the run this year. So that's one criticism I had of him last year. And I felt like he, he did that a little bit better. Um, I know some people said he had a down, I don't know. Some people said he had a down game against Ridley. I felt like he did well better than, you know, in terms of his 1v1 sort of situations, it kind of well gets Ridley. And Ridley as well. I mean, Ridley, I, you know, he's he's decent, but I just like Gallup more. Like, Ridley definitely is faster. He's more speed. Mm-hmm. But I just don't quite see the, the same. And maybe it was because of the game. It could also be just because of... Um, him as a blocker as well. Like, he was bad in terms of blocking. Um, He's talking about Ridley? Uh, yeah, Calvin Ridley, yeah, against Florida State. He was not doing too well in terms of that. Which, I, again, I mean, it's blocking. A lot of people don't really care about blocking. But I just thought it kind of odd that Alabama guy is uh, not the best in terms of, uh, in terms of blocking. Um, in terms of other guys, Ohio State's linebackers, all the linebackers, by the way, so 
Chris Worley and Jerome Baker and uh, and the other guys. The other guys they got. Um, and then got Baker and oh Dante Booker. Like I like all of them, but I still have issues with they're they're all kind of one trick pony linebackers. Like like some of them do stuff well, some of them don't do stuff well. Um, I don't really get the Jerome Baker love 100% yet. He can run with tight ends, and he can run with running backs. Uh, but when he runs with tight ends, he just doesn't quite have the length or the size to really match up well with him when it comes at, at the catch point. So that's my only sort of issue with Baker, is that he can run with tight ends. He can run, you know, he can run um, in terms of pass coverage. But it's it's like if you have a six foot six tight end versus a six foot ish Jerome Baker, who's gonna win that matchup? You know, like that's my only sort of um issue with Baker. He plays a lot. He kind of he kinda of reminded me of um that safety at uh at Cincinnati last year. Um oh, Mike, Mike Tyson. Yeah. In terms of how they were using him, you know, they were having him, uh, you know, kind of cover the flats, cover the slot a little bit, cover tight ends a bit, and do and stuff like that. Wasn't really doing much at the line of scrimmage. Wasn't really, you know, wasn't really trying to do much of that. Just having them kind of cover guys. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but he stuck out. But again, like I said, I just, I just, I don't know. It's just my, my sort of like thing about that. Um, Ryan Izzo, uh, the Florida State tight end, I felt like he he did bet. He was actually blocking um, in that game. <laughs> um, he, he was uh, he was actually able to handle his own a bit as a blocker against Alabama, uh, which is not the same I could say about all the other guys. But yeah, Ryan Izzo at tight end um, kind of stuck out to me. Uh, Curtis Atkins at Memphis. I know they have, you know, Jannard, uh Avery, but uh, Aikens is another guy that uh, was uh, fairly interesting as well. Now, what did you like about him? Oh, he just was, he was, a, he was like Jerome Baker in terms of as a, you know, he's this undersized will type, uh, but has pretty decent speed. And was a little bit more aggressive and better against the run. He was able to to um, plant his feet and get good leverage better than than Baker was. Um, but similar in terms of like skill set, he, he's a really undersized Will linebacker type. But I felt like he kind of held his own when it came to the run as well, which is something you don't really see that often. So that's kind of the best way I can kind of um, explain him, I guess. Right. Well, once again, sort of an evergreen tweet, the undersized Will linebacker type, because that guy's everywhere. <laughs> that guy is everywhere yeah. in the, in, the uh, in college football now. Oh, yeah. Hey, you're a 217-pound linebacker? Come on in. Pretty much. But, um, and, and there's, I mean, the ones, I mean, at least the ones I saw, like Jonathan Celestin at Minnesota, um, like I said, Jerome Baker, Matthew Thomas. Matthew Thomas got sent 
to another dimension against Alabama. Yeah. Like, he was getting – that one Bo Scarborough hit was – I'm not going to say it was amazing, but it was it was just – like, you. It's what, it's what would happen if you had a 230-plus pound, you know, running back hitting a 220-pound linebacker, you know. It was one of those types of things. <laughs> um, yeah, so you can't you can't fault him for toughness though. But um, yeah, but I'd say though, yeah, those guys. I mean, again, like Darius Jackson, definitely. Uh, you know, I saw Nick Chubb, I saw Darius guys. They pretty much were doing what they usually did last year, for the most part. And um, of course, Mason Rudolph and James Washington, pretty much was. He, Mainly just adjusted to a bunch of deep balls and stuff like that. But don't get me wrong, just you know, cool, but didn't really do a ton of um, of uh, didn't really show off much routes because they just kind of blew Tulsa out, you know, uh, the first week. So. Gotcha. Yeah. Any players that may have surprised you, but not in the positive sense. Anyone who may have been somewhat disappointing or left you with more questions than answers. Oh, um, well, Kenny Young at UCLA. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really know what happened. He didn't play the best against Texas A&M. Uh, he was just kind of out of sorts. He looks less athletic as well, which is kind of odd to me. Um, Mm. I don't know why. I don't know if he's battling injury or something, but, um, but yeah, but he he was a guy that last year I saw he looked pretty decent. Um, this year, checking him out again against Texas A&M was not looking too good when it came to shedding and instincts and um, overall kind of stuff. Um, Josh Rosen as well. I wasn't expecting to not like Josh Rosen as much as that game. And yeah, again the comeback was amazing, but. Um, it's just that when you go through that entire game, when you sit through the entire game, you know, it, it, you have a different experience is, is what I'm trying to say. Um, I don't think there's anybody. I guess Will Greer maybe, because I do know oh. that I was expecting a little bit more from him. Oh, Devo Samuel. Yeah. Devo Samuel. Um, I, I don't know why, Bill, but you know, there's all these people that are like, oh, Debo Samuel, uh, amazing. Debo Samuel this, Debo Samuel that. I watched Debo Samuel again. He's okay, but I'm not getting the Debo Samuel love. I don't know. I don't know about you, but, like, I'm not getting, you know, that that touch, touched by fire moment with him for whatever reason. But, um, but, yeah, he's another guy, I guess, that kind of disappointed me because people talk – I don't know, people – it's like a cult following. I don't know. It's just this thing where like, oh, Debo Samuel, you got to check him out. Debo Samuel, he's amazing. Debo Samuel, you know, he's he's this guy. When I watch him, he, you know, he looks like a run-of-the-mill kind of slot receiver, um, but nothing really that special or spectacular, I guess, you know, about him. Gotcha. So of all the games you've seen thus far, what would the surface game, the surface, the uh, second week game, uh, which of those, or what do you think 
might be the one that you thought presented to you at least the greatest you know place of learning or surprise or shock or whatever what what could you take from uh from that oh from uh from what exactly oh I was just saying that as you had just established obviously there were some individual individual players that had distinguished themselves <clears throat> at a variety of positions. I was saying were there any eye opening performances maybe from whole teams or particular units? Anything that was maybe beyond your expectations or from any other teams that may not have been mentioned or even units of teams that you thought particularly were were praiseworthy. Oh. Um I think Alabama and Florida State defense wise, I think both those sides were played really well. Um especially Florida State. I wasn't expecting Florida State. I mean, they do have a lot of names on defense, but they never quite put it all together, you know what I'm saying? As much as Alabama usually does. Uh, but this year in particular, I felt like that unit, both 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 Alabama's defense and uh, Florida State's defense, I felt like they did they did pretty well in that game um, in terms of uh, disrupting the offense, doing really well against the run. Um, but yeah, that that would be one kind of example of a unit that I felt like played uh, pretty well uh, in terms of all the kind of facets of everything. And then other than that, uh, I think there was any, because a lot of teams didn't, a lot of teams are very flat this week. I mean, the first week, you know, because obviously you're playing kind of lower level teams. But I I did like Texas A&M's defense, again, until the fourth quarter. (laughs) Um, I felt like they they got pretty good pressure. Uh, I think one of their pass rushers, I forgot his name, but one of the one of the guys that was uh, coming off the edge was getting a ton of pressure until the fourth quarter, uh, and uh, yeah, so I felt like Texas A&M played well on defense up until that point, obviously. But I felt like their unit as a whole looked pretty dang good up until that point, you know, when the fourth quarter started. So. Okay. Anything else um, from week one? Are you ready to start digging into some of the week two matchups? Oh, we could do the week two. Perfect. So tell me who you're watching week two and why. Sure. Um, week uh, week two. Well, I I am going to watch the Oklahoma State South Alabama game when I get a chance. I think get a chance to watch it today, but I definitely want to hit that one, um, mainly because of Mason Rudolph and, of course, James Washington <laughs> and, uh, and of course, uh, South Alabama because South Alabama, they're growing on me. I'm not, like, switching teams or anything, but, you know, they're a plucky little program, you know, in terms of being in Alabama and stuff. So, um, but, yeah, so that's definitely a team that I – um, kind of want to see. Kind of see if there's. Oh yeah, Louisville, North Carolina. 
um, mainly because of Lamar Jackson, because, uh, you know, I just have to keep watching them. And plus, North Carolina's defense is a little bit better. You know, they have MJ Stewart. Uh, they have a little right. bit better secondary than what he faced against Purdue. Uh, I was actually surprised at how well Purdue hanged in there, um, actually, um, considering everything. But, uh, but yeah, that's definitely a, a game that I uh, am going to hit. Um, TCU Arkansas seems like a pretty fun game. Uh, TCU was kind of an underrated team last year. I, I like the offensive line overall. I like the running back situation there. I like the wide receivers. Uh, I think the defense is still a little inconsistent for me in terms of pass rush because um, for whatever reason, um, I mean they have pass rushers, but they're not. They never like they never they never become really nuanced for whatever reason. Um, in terms of their approach, but that's that's definitely um, one game I want to watch. Oklahoma versus Ohio State, I think, obviously, is like the big, big game, obviously. Uh, the matchup, the defensive line against Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, not Oklahoma State, but Oklahoma's offensive line, I think, is, is a very interesting sort of thing. And the secondary of Ohio State versus uh, Baker Mayfield, I think, is a really good um, matchup in terms of them. JT Barrett and them, they're going to put up points against Oklahoma's defense. I mean, that's it's a given. It's going to happen. But I do think the most compelling matchup is Baker Mayfield versus Ohio State's defense. I think that's that's where you buy that's you know that's where you're buying your ticket for. I guess when it comes to that um, matchup, uh, and then of course Georgia versus Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame is actually proving that they can go on from Kaiser, you know, um, mm-hmm. they can live uh, in terms of him. Uh, Quamius St. Brown. Of course, that offensive line, again, like I said, Quentin, uh, Quentin, uh, uh, Quentin Nelson and uh, Mike McGlinchey and those guys are pretty good in terms of hand usage. And Georgia, I don't know what's happening in Georgia with the Jake from um, J- uh, Jacob Eason situation, but that's okay. starting to get – controversial in terms of that whole thing. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, those are pretty much um, the matchups are really, you know, I'm really kind of penciling in at least in terms of week two matchups. Oh, really? Well, yeah. I mean, Virginia Tech's playing a consequential game. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's several teams that are going to play in games that will really matter. And oh, then sure. Got... There's lots of games. I mean, South Carolina, Missouri, I mean, that's definitely uh, a game that's kind of like that Auburn versus Clemson. Um, I mean, sure, there's a lot of games that matter. I mean, I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying, um, you know, in terms of, like, big, big, colossal, you know, games. You know, like Fresno State versus Alabama. It's not – this doesn't seem like good football is going to be played in that game. I don't know why, Bill. <laughs> I think that's going to be kind of a odd sort of situation. Got it. So sticking for the moment with him, with the 2018 players – or not – well, we don't know how many of you, but of the 2000 
and whatever, Sulfur X, 18 players that get invited to combines. There'll be plenty who didn't. So let's go through some of the guys who've gone and drafted in recent years, found their way into the NFL, or went into a great situation, whatever it is, you know, and flourish. Who are some of the guys that may be coming into the 2018 year? Or even guys with a little, little more than one year of eligibility, but where might they end up when it's all set and done? Oh, you know, the uh, play, yeah, yeah, the players, and I guess even the urgence of players in terms of getting autographs. Hmm, not yeah. quite sure. Oh, hello? Yep, right here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. No, okay, just making sure. Okay, so, you know, normally I'd mess around for a little while, but I'll go straight at it. Ohio Penn State, Ohio State, sorry, the Ohio State. Buck and I from Columbus, Ohio versus the Oklahoma Sooners from Norman, Oklahoma. Tell me about that matchup. Tell me about the individual players, and we'll wrap up at least on that segment with who you like and why. Sure. Um, well, obviously the quarterback, uh, well, Baker Mayfield mostly, not Jason Barrett as much, but um, I do think it's a good sort of quarterback matchup with both those guys. Um, Offense-wise, of course, you know, they have Mark Andrews. He's becoming a big crush amongst draft Twitter in terms of tight ends. Uh, Jeff Baddett, formerly of uh, Kentucky as well. He's starting to build a pretty decent rapport with uh, Mayfield. And they're going to be playing a pretty decent Ohio State defense. Um, they have a lot of rotational guys, you know, Nick Bosa, Sam Hubbard, Taekwon Lewis. Uh, and Orlando Brown, that offensive tackle, obviously, you know, the six foot eight, three hundred, and you know, they listen like six eight, three forty or something like that. He might actually be that big. I mean, he looks huge on tape. Um, so uh doesn't move exceptionally well, but definitely is big and strong. Uh so I think this is gonna be an interesting sort of matchup for him to go up against kind of explosive, faster type um guys in terms of Ohio State's offense, I uh, I mean, they have Paris Campbell. J.K. Dobbins is not really draft eligible. Campbell's kind of doing the Curtis Samuel role all over again, um, including having kind of inconsistent hands as well. Uh, and Oklahoma's uh, defense, none of them really stuck out to me. Um, I might I haven't watched a ton of Oklahoma's defense yet. This will be kind of the first game I'll get a look at some of the seniors and um, and juniors. Um, but, but to me, I think this matchup really comes down to uh, Oklahoma's offense versus Ohio State's defense. Because Ohio State's defense, the biggest thing I could say about it is they all can run. Um, they're, they're still young. They're still kind of inexperienced at a lot of the spots on that defense. But all of them can, can run. All of them are fairly athletic. 
Um, and it'll be kind of an interesting matchup for Mayfield who has to go up against that athletic of a, you know, a defense. Gotcha. <clears throat> I want to make sure there wasn't somebody else somehow, you know, I didn't have higher up on my list. I see. Uh, okay, I see. Got it. Got it. And I'm assuming you don't have someone in, you know, Kill Devil Hill, North Carolina, or something like that. Uh, no. Yes. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Oh, hello. Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, I was just saying, looking at Ohio State and Oklahoma, people love to say the game's won and lost in the trenches. And if that's true, who does it favor and why? Well, it it, it really favors Ohio State because uh, uh, defensive line wise, it's it's just gonna it, it could be a slaughter against Oklahoma's offensive line. Like, I'm not going to lie. On top of um, all the secondary, uh, you know, the, the basically the guys that can run in the in the secondary and the linebacker group. So um, that's going to be a big sort of bad job because Ohio State's offensive line versus Oklahoma's defensive line, I don't see as big of a – I mean, they usually get athletes on that line, but they just don't know what they're doing. Um, so that's not always the best situation. At least Ohio State's defensive line, I think, has a – has a better grasp of what they're trying to do. And as a result, that'll be kind of the big matchup and who wins the game, honestly, is if Oklahoma's offensive line can, uh, can, can do its job, then it, then Oklahoma might have a shot. Right. Exactly. Any other players worthy of mention? Um, no, that's, that's really about it. Okay. Gotcha. Anybody you like on either of those two defenses? Uh, well, Ohio State's defense, I mean, uh, I, I like 
Tyquan Lewis. I like um, Chris Worley at linebacker. Denzel Ward at cornerback is fun. And all the, I mean, all the linebackers. I mean, all the linebackers are pretty. I mean, guys like Dante Booker and Jerome Baker. I mean, they all do something well. They just don't do everything well um, in terms of that um, that defense. Oklahoma's defense, though, not a ton of guys that really like Jordan Parker. I know there's a corner there that gets a lot of hype. I wasn't the biggest fan of him. Um, and defensive line-wise, I just haven't really checked out any of those guys yet this year. So. Okay. Okay. So, any other players, regardless of the position we might have discussed, you see landing your in your safety place or wherever. Um. No, not really. Gotcha. So, uh, anything you have to say or that you learned from your time with uh, with Tampa Bay? Um, uh, no. Okay. Got it. So, let's keep pushing. Thank you. 
Okay. Anyone else? Did either of them say anything to you? Jim? Jim? Jimbo? Jim? Well, I guess we'll talk. <laughs> uh, Jim may rejoin us. If not, I will just hit on a few more of our uh, <clears throat> few more of our matchups. 
and players. And uh, like I said, hopefully Jim will be back. If not, I'll just knock, uh, knock, knock out a few more players and teams and, uh, like I said, matchups, the uh, things to watch out for. We walk through this sucker. So soon we will we shall see a few things. Uh, Clayton Thorson at Northwestern University, the quarterback, is one of those guys that doesn't get mentioned right off the bat with a lot of the other top quarterbacks. He may not be one of them, quite frankly, but he's better than I think a lot of people think he is. And in a place where people sort of desperately search out possible potential uh, quarterback types, he has the potential. You know, he's a guy that has athletic ability, a little bit of an underrated arm. I think he has a little more arm than people realize. Like so many of the quarterbacks in this class, he's been a tad on the inconsistent side. But if indeed Northwestern goes anywhere this year and does anything this year, and it's not for certain that they will, uh, but I think he's going to uh, he's going to have a lot to do with it. So we shall soon see what he ends up becoming. And if he does become something, if they as a team become something, and like I said, he's likely to have a lot to do with it, he'll probably become a little more consistent. Well, that's one thing we'll be looking for forward from Clayton Thorson. And he's already showing, a, I think, a little better uh, sense of where to go with the ball and, and how to protect it. So I think that's one thing that we'll we'll look for from uh, from him specifically and from Northwestern, which is a semi-sexy, uh, I won't say dark horse, but I think they're one of the top four or five teams in the Big Ten and a threat in the West. And in the what they used to sort of call jokingly the SAT Bowl, they will be facing Duke. So we'll see. And I'll just touch on a couple more things, then we'll close this out. So I'll be interested to see, one, uh, how Northwestern looks. They have a running back that I really, really like as well, and Justin Jackson. Uh, In Duke, uh, Duke football, you know, once again, has had to you know, labor to some extent in the, uh, you know, in the the shadow of its basketball program. But they're a legitimate program with some pretty good players, uh, very good coaching. You know, if uh, 
you know, Jayla Duncan, Thomas Sirk, Devon Edwards, amongst sort of their more prominent amongst them. I'll be interested to see, like I said, just, first of all, who wins. Uh, obviously, that'll matter, but but also who who stands out, who shows up, who plays well. And if indeed this is sort of a coming out party, whether it be for a coming out party for Duke or a coming out party for Northwestern, whichever one of them, uh, I think the team that really comes out of this looking good, you know, obviously winning, but, but almost as importantly, uh, the team that looks like it belongs in the top 25. I think there's going to be a top 25 team in this game. I think one of those teams is going to end up being a top 25 team. We'll find out which one of them it is. I guess it's part of what I'm uh, part of what I'm saying. And if indeed, say Duke shows up, scores, you know, 27 points and holds Northwestern to 20, we will have learned a lot about Duke and vice versa. We'll know more about either team. Amongst the other things that I would sort of uh, hit upon about this team as it as it now stands, I think that one of these teams will show it can run the football, not just when it wants to, uh, but when it needs to, and that you know they can't just be made one-dimensional. That's always important with any team, but particularly teams that I believe have a little bit of inconsistency still in their passing. Uh, Byron Fields is another player worth worth watching for Duke. Uh, Zach Harmon is a guy that might have a chance to play at the next level. I don't know about Cirque. Uh, he's another guy that occasionally will make a nice play and flash, and then it all seems to go away after that. So if he can show me more consistency, that's a guy that maybe I'll I'll circle back to and, and watch a little more closely. So that's another guy that, you know, like I said, it's an interesting question mark. You know, that's what he is to me thus far. He's a question mark. You know, despite Cutcliffe's reputation as a, quarterback whisperer, since he's been there at Duke, I mean, Thaddeus Lewis and um, uh, the other guy who's uh, a backup, uh, Sean Renfrey, you know, have he's gone on to have a certain amount of, uh, you know, success in the sense of managing to be in the NFL. And we'll see if Cirque is one of the guys that sort of joins the um, – joins that sort of hip parade. Uh, Britton Brown certainly had a nice day against NC Central, but only had um, they had 10 rushes, but piled up on 20 yards. Daniel Jones. 
had a pretty efficient day at the office against NC Central. If he produces another day where he, you know, completes darn close to 80% of his passes or, you know, it's two TDs and no interceptions, that'll be a big help for Duke. Uh, Duke's best receiver, maybe Aaron Young. That's still a bit of a question mark position for them, quite frankly. So we'll see what happens with that. And of course, as I mentioned, you know, Byron Fields Jr. is an interesting position at uh, the corner position. So I'm looking forward, you know, seeing what happens with those guys. Victor Dimikaji is another guy that has caught my eye at time. And uh, George Terrace is another defensive prospect they have that has uh, has some ability. You know, so we'll see what happens with him. But that's the person I, or a couple of guys that I have circled, a couple of people I've circled on their, uh, on their team. And like I said, I look forward to seeing, you know, what those guys end up doing. If indeed there's much pass rushing generated from, from or by Duke, I would expect that uh, Dikameshi would be a guy that would be probably the, the source of a lot of that. He has a certain amount of natural ability to rush the passer. And as he continues to grow and develop as a player, I would expect to see him continue to, uh, to grow and develop and get better in that, in that part of his game. And just a kid, I mean, you know, literally just a freshman. As he gets better, you know, I'll continue to, you know, keep an eye on him basically, but as he continues to to grow and develop as a player, I could see him, you know, one day being a guy that's only discussed as a as a possible pro prospect. I am indeed battling a uh, fairly significant cold, as some of you may have, may have noticed or guessed. So I will probably wrap this up a little earlier than usual. Uh, Jim, of course, has uh, gone to shelter in place. So I'm kidding. Um, he's pretty tired as well, so he's decided to get rest. And I can't uh, can't fault him for that. Rest is Rest is good. You should get it when you can. 
life doesn't always give us a chance to get as much rest as we might need. So won't be quite as uh, completely exhaustive as I normally would be. I hope uh, I hope I will be forgiven for that. But this is a big week already, right? Sounds funny saying it, but it is the big week. Um, especially Stanford, USC. I mean, there's other big games, but I really believe that's the one that will the greatest impact probably on the rankings. We'll see if USC is anything close to what some think they are, what USC thinks it might be, what people who follow USC think they might be. And, of course, if Stanford looks impressive, especially if they win and win it in impressive fashion, it'll push them up the rankings and, obviously, like I said, will redefine, uh, for many people, what USC is. So the winner of that team, that game, will be a team that will be firmly submitted once again, until they lose, uh, probably in the top five to ten in the rankings, and the team that loses will have a bit of a battle, probably to come close to running the table to, to have an opportunity to still end up in the playoffs. I thank Jim, once again, for everything, and my thoughts and prayers go to him and all those that might be in the path of Irma. Thank you so much. We'll do this again in one week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.